Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilified. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday, but let me tell you something, Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday, Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. If you don't recognize that clip, that's one of the most famous. Uh, around in the resurrection materials. That's S.M. Lockridge. Amen. I, he, he said one time, he said, my name is Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. S.M. Lockridge. Amen. I was at a meeting one time in Cleveland, and Dr. Lockridge was supposed to be the featured speaker, and he couldn't be there, and so E.V. Hill came in his place. I don't know if many of you have heard of E.B. Hill. Uh, he was the great pastor of the Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, South Central Los He would tell you, it's South Central Los Angeles. Amen. Never forget what he preached about that day. He preached about God's answer is us. God's answer is us. That's a great sermon. Amen. I'd, if you get a chance to hear it sometime, you might ought to hear it. Amen. The Bible tells us in the Psalms, thy creation is perfect, O God. Thy creation is perfect. Well, you know, that says a whole lot because that lady sitting beside you, the Bible said she's perfect. 
And worse still, ladies, that thing sitting beside you, the Bible said, uh, God said, he's perfect too. Because we're all the creation of God. In fact, the Bible said we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. And it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. Made by God, the creation of God, and the Bible said, and that creation was made perfect. Hey, not only did he make perfect folks to live, he, made, he put us in a perfect place. He put us in a garden, the Bible said, where hmm, all we had to do is just kind of gather fruit and uh, take care of things uh, there in the, in the garden. There was no sin. There were, well, there was some sin that entered in, but there wasn't to begin with in God's creation. And everybody lived forever. Everybody had eternal life. There was perpetual good health. Everybody never got sick. What a great environment that was for all of us to live in and to live in a garden in what is called paradise. Amen. Well, we had it one time, but my Lord, we lost it. How in the world could anybody be crazy enough to be kicked out of heaven? But somehow we managed to do that. I sometimes call Adam our, our federal head because he's representative of all of us. And when Adam sinned, that created a chasm between us and God. You know, sin always separates. I tell you lots of times, sin will always cost you more than you want to pay. And sin will always take you further than you want to go. And sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay. I could just go on and on with that because sin is just so destructive. It's so destructive in the Garden of Eden that it separated us and God. In fact, the Bible said God told Adam, you can't stay here anymore. Adam actually means humanity. You know, that's an interesting word that God named all of us Adam. Sound man's name is Adam. Amen. Got his name in the book right off the front cover, didn't you, buddy? Amen. When God made man, his first man, the Bible said he called him Adam. Amen. Good, good theology tells us that, that he is the father of all mankind. In other words, he's the father of us all. We're of Adam's race. What about that? He is our, our federal head. And uh, when... He and Eve sinned, and we could go into all of that, but that's not the part of the message I want us to get. He was expelled from the garden. And that is what we call the original sin, the initial sin. That's the one that broke our relationship with God. You see, God would come down every day in the cool of the day, and the Bible said he would walk and he would talk and converse with his greatest creation. God loved fellowship. Did you know God still loves fellowship? Did you know God still loves to spend time with you? Did you know that God is still interested in having a regular time when you and he can just get together and just have relationship and can talk and exchange ideas and reciprocate back and forth? You get to talk to God and tell him things that you wouldn't tell anybody else. Amen. What a wonderful God we have that wants to fellowship with us and loves to have that, that conversation with us, loves to be with us. In fact, he said, if there's only two of you, he said, I'll come. Well, if you pastored a church and there wasn't but two, you wouldn't get a whole lot of folks to come, but you'd get God because God said, where there's only two or three, I'll show up. I'll be there because I like church. I like fellowship. I like relationship. I like just being around other, other folks. God loves fellowship with all of us. But my Lord, we lost that when the sin took place in the garden, the initial sin that drove us from the presence of God. And not only us, but his whole family had to, to, to leave, God, leave God's presence. Sin always separates. It always divides. Love always multiplies. Love always adds. Right the opposite. Right the opposite. But when man left the garden, he left there having lost eternal life. 
Now, he didn't die immediately. In fact, he lived 960 more years. Oh, I heard a gasp back there. You mean somebody lived 960 years later? Yeah. So the death penalty wasn't right then. So it wasn't an immediate curse of dying on the spot. What it actually was is that you'd lost eternal life. And having lost eternal life, it meant that all of us, it is appointed unto man once to die. That's an appointment that every one of us have got to make and have got to keep. And when we were driven from the presence of God, it grieved the heart of God. And God set about right at that very moment to fix that situation. But there was a condition that, that we call in theology, it's called the human condition. The human condition is a condition of lostness. Boy, that's a bad word, isn't it? I am the world's worst at losing things. I lose my keys. I lose, I better not go into that. I lose all, all kind of, but I'm not as bad as Debbie. She loses more things than I do. <laughs> Losing is just part of, part of me. I've got a lot of things I just can't keep up with. Don will tell you, I, I'm probably the world's worst about keeping up with stuff. Yeah, and he, they, they say around here in the church, they'll say, if you want something to go somewhere, don't give it to pastor. If you want a tithes or offering or whatever you give, don't give it to pastor. <laughs> They've learned that lesson over the years, haven't they? Lostness. Can you imagine someone being lost and away from God? Lost. Lost and alienated, the Bible calls us. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. A stranger to the covenant of promise. Lost, having no hope and without God in the world. One of the greatest theologians, John Calvin, though he's all washed up and all wrong about predestination, he's right about total depravity, the doctrine of total depravity. What does that say? That says that every one of us are lost and without God and are on our way to a devil's hell without the saving grace of Jesus. We are totally depraved. That means we have no way of lifting ourselves. No way of saving ourselves. That we cannot do anything about our, our situation. And it's called depravity. Lost in depravity. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're lost and having no hope. You see, there are some, many of these original sin theories. Rousseau made this one a f famous philosopher. He theorized that man is naturally good but he's corrupted by society. Others agree with Aristotle and John Locke's notion that we are born an empty slate, but that we are free to define the content of our character, but that is outside forces are shaping us and determining who we're going to be. Well, that's interesting. I'd rather believe the Bible, though, than philosophers, hadn't you? The Bible tells us that the natural human condition is sinful and estranged from God. That we are not born innately good or morally neutral, but we're born sinners and every person's destiny is death and wrath because of our depravity. We call God, we call Jesus the eternal intervener. Amen. I had a course one time in crisis intervention. It's a counseling program where you counsel people who are going through crisis. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Well, I want to tell you, I am a crisis. And Jesus intervened in my life and changed my crisis. I had a crisis and I needed an intervener. And Jesus is the ultimate crisis intervener because he comes into our life and he justifies and he purifies and he purges and he washes and he forgives and he makes us a new creature in Christ Jesus. Can anybody say amen to that? And that changes the whole picture about our relationship with God. 
that bridges the chasm and makes a way for us to get back into good graces with God so that we can enjoy that fellowship and that relationship. God wants relationship with you. He wants relationship. He doesn't want to know you in a distance, and he doesn't want you to know him at a distance. The Bible talked about a disciple that followed afar off. Boy, we've got a lot of afar off disciples now, don't we? That people that follow the Lord from a distance. But God wants you to be up close and personal. God wants you to know him as a savior, as a redeemer. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, Psalm 51 and 5. And in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, that was handed down to all of us. And my condition when I was born was a natural man. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. I told you a while ago, sin will kill you. Yes, we've lost eternal life, so there's a physical death, but there's also a situation called a spiritual death. And it's terrible for someone to be dead spiritually. That means you have no relationship with God and no life and no activity going on in your life, anything spiritual. The Bible said God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Our God is a Spirit. He is an eternal God. He is from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. He sits above time and space. He's not limited by either. He is the God who inhabits all of eternity. There is nothing that he cannot do for he is omnipotent. There is nothing that he does not know for he is omniscient. There is nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing that is beyond the power of our great God to do. And he is the one who said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And any man that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. Can you say that? He shall live again. He shall live again by faith in what Jesus did on that empty tomb, that first Easter morning. Jesus opened up a door for every one of us in this house. Hallelujah. That great sermon that Peter preached on Pentecost Sunday, what a great story it is about Peter preaching because he failed so miserably when the Lord needed him most. He was that disciple that warmed himself by the fires of the enemy and declared, I don't even know him. I have no relationship with Jesus. I don't know the man. I, I swear to you, I don't even know the man. Sometimes I preach a sermon about making, the making of a pillar in Peter. Peter was so impulsive that he made rash commitments that he just couldn't keep when it came right down to the heart of the matter. But the Bible said when Jesus rose again, he said, I'm going to Galilee and I'll meet my disciples there. Oh, yes, and tell Peter I'll meet him there too. What a beautiful story that is of restoration. Did you know God will make a move toward you? He really will. And if you'll make a move toward him, the Bible said draw nigh to God and God will draw nigh to you. While Peter was preaching that, he said, this same Jesus whom you murdered, Boy, somewhere he found some boldness, didn't he? In that upper room, when he got that Pentecostal blessing, praise God, he got some boldness. But when he preached on the day of Pentecost, he said, this is that. This is that. Well, this is not that. I'm going to keep this till that comes because I sure do love this, don't you? And he said, and this same Jesus, whom you murdered, whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and King. Israel was looking for a king like David, and God gave him Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Israel was looking for a Messiah. And God sent them Jesus. But he came unto his own. And his own received him not. The Jewish people refused him. The people of Israel, the children of Israel, refused to accept the lordship of Jesus. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, gave he power to become the sons of God. Isn't that great? Hallelujah, that the risen Jesus is one who restores and one who recapitulates. That doctrine is called the doctrine of recapitulation. It came from Irenaeus, a third century theologian, and his whole deal was recapitulation. It says this, what we lost in Adam, eternal life, joy and peace with God, justification, satisfaction in our relationship with him. We lost every bit of that in Adam. But he said what we lost in Adam, we regained in Jesus. Yeah. Buddy, somebody ought to be on your feet clapping. Yeah. Where Satan thought he'd won a great victory, where the devil thought he had really made a terrible, catastrophic blow against God and his purposeful plan. Praise God, Jesus won that victory over death and hell and the grave for us. And on that first Easter morning, he arose, he arose, hallelujah, he arose up from the grave, he arose. And he lives today with power and omniscience and great love for every one of us. What a wonderful thought this is that our Redeemer lives, our Savior lives. Ephesians 2 said we at one time dwelt as dead people, spiritually dead, but we were quickened. Praise the Lord. Listen to it. Verse 3 of Ephesians 2. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God. I'm glad that but God is there, aren't you? Yes, we were filthy sinners. Yes, we were enemies against God. Yes, we were not subject to the laws of God. Yes, we could not receive the things of the Spirit because they were foolishness to us. But, thanks be to God, but God who is rich in mercy. Have you got a rich God who is rich in mercy? But God who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us up together with Christ and hath made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. For we are his workmanship, the workmanship of his hands. Can you say, he's still working on me? He's still working on me. That 10th verse says, but he, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has a plan for all of our lives, and it's good works. The Bible said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father which is in heaven. John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, it's so important that when you get saved, you turn your back on darkness. It's so important that you make that move of repentance. That is to abandon the things of darkness, the power of darkness. Colossians chapter 1 said that we are delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Can somebody say amen? Can you get that through your head? Listen at that. 
who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. So when darkness and gloom and despair tries to bombard your mind and heart, just say, no, I'm past that. I'm already delivered from that. He's already delivered me from that. I'm delivered from the power of darkness. Oh, yes, and I, I've already changed uh, places, too. I'm translated now into, into a new place. I'm, I'm translated out of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of defeat and gloom and despair and hell and death and judgment. I got out of that. I'm in a new kingdom now. I'm in the kingdom of God when the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Well, you wanted a Pentecostal preacher? You got one. That light for everyone that doth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doth truth, come on somebody, but he that loves the truth, but he that does the truth comes to the light, and that is because his deeds may be made manifest that they're wrought in the love of God. We don't understand the things of God. They're above our head. But I want to tell you, God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us. I said, God hath revealed them unto us. How did he do it? By his Spirit that dwelleth in us. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Why have we received the spirit of God? That we might know the things. Did you know that as a spiritual person, as one that's redeemed by grace and washed in the blood, you have an ability to read the revelations that God gives. The things that are blinded to those who believe not and those that don't know and don't possess the Spirit, but because you possess the Spirit, the Lord reveals things to you. We have received the Spirit of the God, Spirit of the Lord, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom, listen, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual. Anybody got a Holy Ghost teacher? Anybody in this house ever had the Holy Ghost to teach you? Anybody had the Holy Spirit to guide you? Have you ever had the Holy Spirit to give you answers to your questions? Oh, blessed be his name. The Lord loves to reveal things to his spirit. In fact, he said, I will call you no more servants. But he said, from now on, I'm going to call you friends. Are you a friend of God? I said, are you a friend of God? The Bible said Abraham knew the Lord and walked with the Lord and knew him face to face. Amen. And he feared the Lord and he walked uprightly before the Lord and enjoyed a relationship, a friend relationship with the Lord. Is Jesus your friend? The Bible calls him a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Bible says about Jesus that when everybody else walks out, he'll walk in. The Bible says about Jesus that when everybody else turns their back and walks away, Jesus is the one that will stand by your side forever because he's the one that said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, but I'll go with you all of the way even to the end of the age. What a friend we have in Jesus. Have you got a friend in Jesus? Talking about some joys of this humanity thing that we've traded that depravity and traded it for a... Hallelujah. A cross to bear for the Lord Jesus. Romans 7, 15. You ready for this one? Get your shouting shoes on. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. No 
now then, it is no more that I do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. What he's saying is, I am in a struggle. Every one of us are in that juxtaposition. Yeah, we've got the Spirit of God over here working mightily in us. We've got flesh over here. This, this, guy, this, this house I live in, made of flesh. Flesh is rebellious. Flesh doesn't like the Bible. Flesh does not like to hear y'all sing these songs. Flesh does not like for you folks to go to church. Flesh is the eternal enemy against the Spirit. And the Bible said to be fleshly minded is death. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Hey, there's a struggle going on here. And I, I inherited that struggle. I inherited because I'm Adam's kid and I'm Ad, Adam's child, I inherited that situation. Now, Jesus has made a provision for me and he's recaptured all that we lost in Adam, but I've still got to walk it out. I said, I've got to walk it out. Because you walk by, not by Walk by faith, not by sight. Walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16. Walk in the Spirit, and ye will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Isn't that great? What I'm telling you is there's a victory that can be won through what Jesus did at Calvary's cross. For I know that in me, verse 18, I know that in me, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which I is good I find not. For the good that I would do not, but the evil which I would not, that I find myself doing. He said, things I ought not to do, I find myself doing. And things that I should be doing, I find myself not doing. Anybody identify with that? When you know what you ought to do, but you don't do it. And when you've got this thing going on, and you scratch your head, why, why in the world did I do that? Yeah. And he says right here, it's not, he says it's not my, the, my flesh that did it. It's the sin that dwelleth in my flesh. Do you see it in verse 20? And then he says in verse 21, I find then a law. There's a law in me, and it's a stubborn law. Listen to it. I find then a law that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. I have to fight that law all the time. Look at verse 20, 22. For I delight in the law of the Lord, which is after the inward man, not this fleshly one, but that inward man. But he said, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, miserable piece of human flesh that I am. Who is ever going to deliver me from the body of this prison of this suffering and this misery? Next verse. I thank God. I thank God that through Jesus, is that what that verse says? Through Jesus, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God. But this flesh, the battle goes on. Wow. I'm tempted to go on. It's not in my notes, but I wanted to. There remaineth therefore now. When is now? Since the empty tomb. There remaineth therefore now since I knelt and let Jesus come into my heart. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, 
hath he made me free from the law of sin. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent his only begotten son. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And right here's where that great verse comes up. Verse 11 that says, For if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus be in you. You mean the Spirit raised up Jesus? I wonder how God did that, Brother Jerry. The tomb was there. We hear that angels came, but we don't hear about them doing anything to Jesus. They just rolled the stone back. If the Spirit of Him, Yahweh, the God, Creator God who created the universe, if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead be in you. Are you kidding me? You mean I've got Easter inside me? You mean I'm carrying around Easter in my heart? You mean I'm walking around here and I've got resurrection in my heart and I've got tomb theology, empty tomb theology, all in my heart and my mind. The Bible said we are always carrying about the death of the Lord Jesus. I'm always carrying around the death of the Lord Jesus. Don, every step you take, every move you make, you're carrying around the death of the Lord Jesus. When these singers were singing up here, they were singing, carrying around inside them the death of the Lord Jesus. When you walked in that aisle and walked down that aisle and took your seat, you're carrying inside you the death of the Lord Jesus, always carrying about the dying of the Lord Jesus. Wow. Wow. Why in the world did God fix it that his spirit that raised up Jesus dwells in us and along with that spirit that raised up Jesus is the actual dying of the Lord Jesus himself. So Calvary, Calvary, Calvary and the empty tomb guarantee for us a victory in the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, Olivia. The Bible said he became obedient to the death of the cross. Romans 5, 8, and 9, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath, judgment, through him. Jesus is your ticket. We shall be saved from judgment through Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brother, when the judgment and the wrath is going on, you're going to be, the Bible said, safe in your chamber with the door shut about you. Isaiah 20, 21, 26, it says, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut the door about you. While the Lord comes out of his place for a moment and a season to punish the inhabitants of the earth. Woo. 
Brother, when tribulation clouds are gathering and when armies are marching on Jerusalem, I'm going to be safe in my chamber with the door shut about me. And does anybody in this house know who said, I am the door? And if any man shall enter in by me, he shall be saved. He shall be saved. He shall be saved. He shall be saved. Brother, the best advice I could give you is you better get in that door while that door is open. While Jesus has that door open, you better get in that door because there's safety and security inside that door. Praise God. You don't want to experience the judgment and the wrath. That's not for you. It's not intended for you. Claim your promise as a child of God. And that's your ticket. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You don't have to worry about judgment because of Jesus. Much more than, verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we'll be saved from wrath through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life and life more abundantly. Can anybody say life more abundantly? That's what Jesus came to give to every one of us in this house, is life more abundantly. Turn to Isaiah 53 and 1, if you will. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, an offering for sin, we shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. 
what peace we have through what Jesus did at Calvary's cross. When that tomb was found empty and those women went and told the disciples, there was all kinds of doubt that was in their mind about who and would assume the leadership of the apostolic band and how things would proceed and all like that. But what our Savior was seeing was a body of people we call humanity. And when He arose, He arose for every one of us. Every one of us. And thanks be to God, because He lives, because He lives, He said, ye shall live also. Are you looking forward to living with Jesus? Are you looking forward to a time when a trumpet's going to sound? A general resurrection, we call it. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16 and 17. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Brother Jerry, you believe Jesus believes in shouting? Bible said He's going to come back for a shout. Be shouting when He comes back. You mean Jesus believes in shouting? Oh, I believe He does. You know what He shouts about? He shouts about people getting saved. The Bible said there was joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repentance. You know who's in the presence of the angels, don't you? That's the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. What do you need a trumpet for? Oh, when it sounds so loud as to wake up the dead. Oh, where shall I be when it sounds? Immediately when that trumpet sounds, the Bible said, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Touch your neighbor and say, caught up. Caught up in the moment and the twinkling of an eye. Do you know how fast that is? That's seven hundredths of one second. The blink of your eye. Next time you blink your eyes, you could be in heaven. Next time you blink your eyes, you could see Jesus. Dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, when? When the dead have arisen. Then, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know He's living. Whatever men may say. The sky shall unfold preparing His entrance. The stars shall applaud Him with thunders of praise. The sweet light in his eyes shall enhance those awaiting, and we shall behold him then face to face. Oh, we shall behold him. Yes, we shall behold Him face to face in all of His glory. We shall behold Him. Yes, we shall behold Him face to face our Savior. And Lord, the angels 
shall sound the shout of his coming. The sleeping shall rise from their slumbering place. And those who remain shall, shall be caught up in a moment. And we shall behold him. Then face to face, stand with me. Oh, we shall behold him, Don Maddox. We shall behold him face to face, our Savior and Lord. Our Savior and our Lord, we'll see him face to face. When they were gathered in the upper room, Jesus took the bread and he broke the bread. And he said to the disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. In like manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the New Testament. It is my blood which is shed for you. Drink ye all of it. Thank you, Spirit of God. We love you, Lord. Could you just lift your hands all over this building and thank God for an Easter Sunday morning and just say thanks to the Lord Jesus. Thanks for the fact that he rose again. Thanks for the fact that he paid the sin debt for every one of us. Thanks, Lord Jesus, for the stripes that were on your back that were meant for me. Thanks, Lord Jesus, for the crucifixion that you bore in my place. And I praise you and I glorify you for that. Can we for about 30 seconds give God some of the best praise we've got in this house? Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now to the all-wise King, the King eternal and immortal, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, I bid you, O Lord, a wonderful Easter. You have a great day in God, and may all the blessings of the Lord be accrued to you this day in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Friday's good because Sunday's good.